We're going to read our text today. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 42 through 47. And, um, and I want to read that passage and then we will pray and dive into the sermon. Are you there in Acts chapter 2? All right. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Father um, in heaven, I just thank you for your grace towards us, for your kindness towards us, God. I thank you for meeting us here. I thank you that we have an environment where we can study your word and worship you openly and freely. Father, I thank you for the love and kindness of such a generous uh, congregation towards me and my family. Father, I thank you for preserving your word for us. God, I just ask that you'd speak to us today. Help us to receive from you what you desire for us. Spirit, open our eyes. Teach us. God, guide me. I need your help. I need your strength. Use me today, Lord, for your glory and the good of those gathered. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in a little bit of a transition um, two weeks ago, the congregation voted to change the church name from Bayou Tala Fellowship to Bayou Church, and our mission, man, this mic is somewhat messed up today. <laughs> our mission here at Bayou Church is going to be, or is now, to love God, to love people, and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our mission, and we believe that a true follower of Jesus must be devoted to these things. If you follow Jesus, you must be devoted to loving God, loving people, and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so in this series, Jesus Follower, we are unpacking and exploring the application of that mission. That's the mission. Love God, love people, make disciples. How do we apply that? How do we live that out in our daily life? What does it look like practically to be a Jesus follower? How should we spend our time? And therefore, how should we spend our lives? And what we are pulling apart in this series is how Jesus followers intentionally pursue these five times the five G's of a Jesus follower, God time, and gather time, group time, give time, and go time. That Every day we're spending time with God one-on-one. -on -one. 
in the Word and in prayer. And then every week we're going to come together and gather for worship like we're doing today. And then consistently, we are going to get in smaller groups of people. That's what we're going to unpack today. And then give time and go time we're going to explore in the next couple weeks. Today we're going to focus on group time. And as you've heard me say already in this series that Jesus had a large group of disciples. The Bible describes them as the 72. And out of the 72, He thought it necessary to pull down uh, out of them 12. A smaller group to have a unique purpose. And so He called the 12 disciples a small group. Out of the large group. And the early church followed His example. Or as we said in week one that Jesus' followers imitate Christ. And so the early church sought to imitate Christ in how they spent their time. As we look in Acts chapter 2, if we go back to verse 41 to get a little bit of context, uh, Peter had just preached this sermon after Pentecost. And in verse 41 it says, And those who received His word were baptized, and there added to that day about 3,000 souls. So, so before that, you had the 120 believers in the upper room praying, waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so now, after the Spirit has been poured out on the church and they have, uh, Peter has preached the gospel to those gathered 3,000. So now we have 3,120 believers. And how did they begin to do life? How did they begin to do church? How did that form together? How did they spend their time? That's what Acts 2, verse 42 through 47 describes. The prototype church. The first early church. It gives us a model, an example for how we should do church. So how did they meet? Look at verse 46. It says that, they, And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So they had two main spaces that they gathered. In the temple and in the home. In the large group and in a small group. I say, well, well did they do that any other time? Yes, they, yes, they did. In chapter 5, verse 42, it describes them. It says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So, this was their habit. This is what they devoted themselves to. Meeting in temple, meeting in house to house. Meeting in a large group for worship and in a small group for fellowship. One author noted the difference between these two groups and he says, in the temple the apostles would teach and instruct and inspire. So the temple courts, they weren't meeting in the temple. They're in the temple courts. The temple courts were kind of these outer courts like Solomon's portico where you had a space for thousands of people. Standing room only. Now Because they, they stood for worship back then. What if we try that out today? What do you think? <laughs> Y'all stand, I'll sit. How about we do that? Um, 
So uh, these outer courts, and there was different courts in the temple, and so different gatherings could occur. And so uh, regularly they would gather in large groups to hear the apostles' teaching. So this guy says, hey, they would gather, and the apostles would instruct and teach and inspire, but then from house to house they would be able to discuss what the apostles said and apply it to their life. He makes this distinction that in the large gathering, the message was that the apostles have something to say and you need to hear it. And in the small group, that you have something to say and I need to hear it. They're different but complementary environments. The big gathering, we worship God. In the small group, we learn how to walk with God, how to live for Him and apply what we've heard. In the big gathering conveys the notion that God is most high. This author says, but in the small group conveys the notion that God is most nigh. He's close and near. In the big group, there's less opportunity for participation. That primarily, whenever we gather together, the majority of us are sitting, watching, listening, receiving. But in a small group, Participation is necessary. For a small group to function, you need participation, discussion. Large gathering, worship. Small group, fellowship. Why is a small group, you think, necessary? A small group of people is necessary because you were created for companionship. Whenever God created man in Genesis. He created everything. He kept saying, it is good, it is good, it is good. He created man, it is good. But then the first time we hear the words, it is not good, is whenever he says, it is not good that man is alone. Let me create a companion fit for him. Adam, he had, he had animals. He was not lacking for animals. He had Man's best friend in the dog, I guess. But even that, God's like, it's not good that a man just sit at home with his dog. That you need people. And he created Eve, of course, we know. And they brought together and were the first married couple. But the idea is that God is a triune God. There's relationship in the Godhead itself. And he created us in his image to need and desire relationship. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. He's like, it is a fool. It's someone who's just selfish and foolish to go and isolate yourself. Not to be connected in any real way with anyone else. It's against sound judgment. You were created, you were created for community. Human beings cannot survive alone. That's why whenever people spend time alone, maybe trapped on a desert island or something, for periods of time they go insane because we cannot survive alone. Now if you feel like hey, maybe I've heard a message like this. Maybe you've been in church a long time 
and you've heard something, a, a sermon preached out of Acts 2. I, I've preached a sermon out of Acts 2 before. And maybe you're like, hey, I've heard stuff like this before. I got it. I understand. Well, let me just ask you, how are you doing at applying the message? How are you doing at living out the message of Acts 2? You might say, well, I am applying the message. I am involved in community. I am in a small group. I am applying the message. I've still heard this message before. Let me ask you, who have you taught this to since the last time you heard it? Okay, now that we got everybody on board. Here's the main idea of the sermon. Fellowship is the primary purpose of group time. Fellowship is the primary purpose of group time, of small groups. This group time sermon is going to be in two parts. and This week we're going to look at the 12, the small group. Next week we're going to look at the three, or the more in, uh, intensive group. Fellowship is the primary purpose of a small group. Fellowship, what does it mean? What does it mean? Because we slap the word fellowship on everything, right? It's like somehow we make it extra spiritual or super Christian or holy by just calling, calling it a fellowship. So we have like the weightlifting fellowship and we have like the vintage car fellowship and we have the left-handed basket weavers fellowship, right? Maybe you grew up in a church where you had a fellowship hall and fellowship just meant the time where you go and drink some bad coffee and eat some stale cookies. That's what fellowship meant for you. We slap fellowship on everything, but it's come to mean kind of just hanging out. It's just like Christians hanging out. That's what fellowship has come to mean in our church culture. So what does it really mean, biblically? Well, the word is koinonia. I'm sure you're familiar with this word. This is one of the most popular Greek words. You might not know any Greek words, but you probably know the word koinonia or the word um, agape. You know, there's a few Greek words that most people know. Koinonia, the word we have for fellowship. What does it mean? Well, it's a feminine noun. It properly, what is uh, shared in common as a basis for fellowship, a partnership, a community. The word koinonia is used uh, 20 times in the noun form in the New Testament. And it is translated as fellowship, as uh, communion, as contribution, as sharing, as um, partnership or participation. All these words describe what it means, uh, fellowship. What is shared in common is the common basis for fellowship. Simply put, fellowship is sharing the life of Jesus Christ. Sharing the life of Jesus Christ. It's not just a social gathering, but it's a spiritual gathering. It has at its center fellowship. has as its center more than just coffee and donuts. At the center of fellowship is Christ. It's more than just shared activity. It is being social over spiritual matters. I don't think it's a stretch to say that every activity in verse 42 is a description of fellowship. Described there 
fellowship. These are the things that they did together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. They devoted themselves to these things. Verse 44, I think, is a good summary of fellowship. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They shared everything in Christ. See, fellowship is not just a time on Sunday morning. Fellowship is not just hanging out in the lobby before and after church on a Sunday morning. It's a common shared life with others. It's togetherness for the goal of stirring one another up to love and good works. It's togetherness with the goal of stimulating spiritual growth. That's what fellowship is. In the New Testament, it was intensely relational. These New Testament believers, once they came to Christ, they were like, my new family is the church. My new hobby is the church. My life is the church. This is who I am now. They gave it all. They shared everything. Notice verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Notice, all who believed. This was not like some people who believed decided to get involved in togetherness. No, it's like if you believed you were together. It was a priority. It was a must um, for any true follower of Jesus Christ. Notice it says that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to this. This was not something that they simply added on to their already busy lives. They said, this is going to be my priority from here on out. And so if fellowship is the primary purpose of group time and fellowship is a description of this group, this small group. Here's four things that we have fellowship in according to this text. Maybe think about this as if I'm in a small group, if I want to start a small group, I want to connect myself together in a small group of believers. What should that look like? Here it is. We're following the example of the early church. First, we have fellowship in the Word. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. The apostle taught, uh, the apostles' teaching is the New Testament, primarily the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. The, uh, all of the New Testament that we have is given to us through the apostles by the Holy Spirit. You've got to also consider that the apostles were taught by Jesus the Old Testament and how they could view the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ and His fulfillment of the Old Testament. So you can imagine that they are teaching those doctrines as well. So the apostles' teaching practically is the Word of God. It's the Scriptures. And so if in a large gathering, in the gathering, if we hear the Word proclaimed and taught 
and preached, then in the small group we get to discuss the Word and apply the Word. So if Sunday morning is primary around instruction and inspiration and theology, uh, you put feet to it in group time. Say, how do we apply what we just heard? That's what my, we have a Wednesday night Bible study. It's a Wednesday night smaller group of people, although it's get growing and we might have to break it up a little bit to keep it small. But in our small group, we have a sermon-based small group. We don't cover new content on Wednesday nights. I'm sorry. We revisit what we talked about on Sunday because it is amazing how when we get together, we all heard something together. Maybe we've taken different notes on it. Maybe God's been stirring something in us. And so whenever we get into small group, I start our group mo most weeks by just saying, hey, what stood out to you? What has God spoken to you out of the text we just read, revisiting Sunday's text, or out of the sermon Sunday? How is God speaking to you? It gives people an opportunity. I had some questions during the sermon, and we get to talk about the questions. Here's what God spoke to me. Here's what I saw. And we get to share this experience to discuss how we can actually put feet to what we've heard. To not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. We are, it's better to study the Bible in a group. Yes, there's daily one-on-one -on -one time with God. We covered that in God time. You can go watch that online. That is essential. But we are better if we study the Word in a group. In the same way that what is a better witness to a car wreck? One witness or six? Six, right? Because you get different angles and different perspectives and different backgrounds and helps you more fully understand what happened. And so in the same way, when we come to God's Word, we come with different occupations and different ages and different genders and different, uh, different experiences, and we can come together. And I'm always amazed on Wednesday nights the things that come up. Things that I would have never thought would come up. They come up. Because we have a more full understanding of the Word of God when we are coming at it together. We need each other, and the Bible is the basis for our group. Small groups. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, um, we fellowship in a meal. Amen? <laughs> Look at verse 42 again. The fellowship to the breaking of bread and to the prayers is what they... They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. So, um, breaking of bread, there's some uh, different ways you can interpret this. Some interpret it to mean uh, communion, like breaking of bread at the Lord's table. Some interpret it to mean simply just a meal, like they just shared a meal together and just broke bread. I would say my interpretation of this is that it is um, both. That we, we um, share a communion meal in the 
large gathering and we share a community meal in the small group. That it's both. Possibly you could view this as verse 42 is talking about the communion meal. And verse 46 is talking about the community meal. Coming over for a meal. There's something about eating that brings people together. It's my favorite thing about small group. If your small group doesn't have food, I'm not coming. Okay? If you host a small group, bring some food. It's the best thing that ever happened to our small group. People bringing food. And food is a tool of fellowship. There's something about sitting across the table from somebody, enjoying a meal together, sharing a meal together, that knits us together. It's interesting, in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus' ministry was filled with a lot of uh, walking and a lot of eating. He was actually accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he was always eating with people. Like, man, Jesus, you're a glutton. Every time I see you, you're going over to somebody's house for dinner. And it's like, Jesus used this as a tool for ministry. Because whenever you're around a table, whenever you're eating, this thing about eating, eating is like an intimate experience. You're taking foreign objects to your body and allowing them to come into your body. This is pretty intimate. And so whenever you, whenever you sit around at a table, there's something about a table that it just relaxes you. It causes you to open up. It causes you to, to kind of let loose. It, some barriers come down. There's something about a meal that brings people together. And we'll have one today. We will have a fellowship meal after church today. And I hope you'll stay for that. Uh, because it, it helps bring us together. So, uh, regularly, once a month here at our church, regularly we, we fellowship through the communion meal, the breaking of bread at the Lord's table. But then we should also, in our smaller groups, break bread with one another in a community meal. Number three, we fellowship in a prayer. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. The prayers. Uh, the prayers, said that way, the prayers, uh, is probably referring to corporate prayer, that they had a time where they came together corporately to pray. But then also there's a fellowship in getting to pray for one another, getting to express requests for prayer and receive prayer and give prayer for others. We're commanded to do it in Ephesians 6.18 Paul writing, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It's a part of a life of a Christian in community 
is to pray for one another, make supplication, that is a petition before God for someone else. We're going to pray with one another. That's what we do in our small group, Wednesday nights. We start with uh, prayer requests. We get to hear what are the needs of one another, the burdens of one another. We get to pray for one another. It's important. And it's powerful. Because prayer changes things. There's power in prayer. On the way in, I was uh, this morning... I was thinking about prayer and, uh, and how Peter experienced the power of prayer in his small group. So Peter here just preached Pentecost, but then later, because of his faith in Jesus, he gets imprisoned. And they throw him in jail, and he's locked up. There's no getting out. But what does he have? He has a small group of people praying for him. And this is in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. It says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And so, the, the, his, his small group in this home, we're going to see in a minute, this small group in a home is praying for Peter. Get him out of prison, God. Get him out of prison. Save him, Lord. Save him. And you know what God does in answer to their prayer? He sends an angel to the prison. He, the angel busts off the chains that were uh, holding Peter. The gates supernaturally open for Peter. The angel escorts Peter out of the prison, away from it. And, uh, and then he kind of comes to, the angel disappears, and he's like, oh wait, I'm free! You know? Oh my goodness, this is great. And so he goes straight to his small group. He's like, i got to tell him I'm free. So he goes to, to, goes to the house. It's me, Peter. I'm free. And they didn't believe him. Look at, look at it. Uh, it's Acts 12, verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary and the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. They were praying what we do in our group, in a home, praying for the needs of one another. And it's just comical if you continue. Uh, and when he knocked on the door, the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda, poor Rhoda, man, she came to answer, recognizing Peter, she doesn't open the door. <laughs> man, she runs and tells the group, Peter's free. They don't even believe they don't even believe her. Because here, sometimes prayer accomplishes things that you could never imagine. You pray out of obedience. You pray in faith. And maybe there's just something in you going, I don't know if that could really happen. But prayer changes things. Prayer has power as it is working. At least that's what James says in James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another Pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Hey, if it has power to break Peter out of prison, then your prayers have power. And so we pray for one another. If you have a small group, if you start a small group, prayer needs to be a priority. 
Finally, number four. So we fellowship in the Word. We fellowship in prayer. We fellowship over a meal or in a meal. Finally, we fellowship in ministry. Look at verse 45. So they were selling uh, their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So, immediately, whenever this group, 3,000 people now, they're meeting together in the large gathering in, in the temple and in smaller groups in homes, from home to home, immediately they felt a sense of ownership or responsibility for one another. This is what fellowship looks like. It's, it's we're in partnership together now. And so if you have a need, I have a need. We are in this together now. I have responsibility for you. You have responsibility for me. And it was a radical generosity that occurred. They no longer um, were holding on to their possessions. They were freed of the love of money, freed of the, the need to hold on to everything, and they sold it because there was a responsibility. My sister, my brother has a need. I have resources. I'm going to help. That was, they, verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all who had any need. Um, this was not socialism or communism. This was not mandated that everyone give up all their possessions and then we will redistribute the wealth. That's not what this was. This was willful, joyful generosity to those who had need. It says they sold their possessions, but they didn't obviously sell all their possessions because they had homes to meet in. So they still had, they still had to have, raise their families and do life and go to work and all that kind of stuff. So they didn't sell all their possessions, but if they had extra, they sold it to meet the needs of one another. This is ministry to one another. But for people to meet a need, you have to know about the need. For, for a need to be met, a need has to be revealed, which means in groups... You are known. It's easy on a Sunday morning to come in. Maybe you straggled in late and you're going to leave right when we dismiss and you don't want to be known by anyone. But in groups, God designed us to be known and to know. And in groups, that's where we're able to know one another in such a way that we know the needs of one another. It's one thing to have people pray for you at the tail end of a trial, the back end of a, a trial. But it's a, another thing to have a group of people who can pray for you at the front end of a problem. It's one thing to have people pray for you after the diagnosis. It's another thing to have a group of people who can pray for you before you ever go to the appointment. And that's what groups provide for the church. People to know your needs. It's one thing to ask for help. It's another thing to be so known by a group of people 
that they know your needs before you ever ask for help. This is the picture of small groups that we get from Acts chapter 2. There are, the ministry to one another is the way for us to perform the one another's in Scripture. In the New Testament, there are 60 so one another statements. One another statement. We're not going to read them all, but here's a, a good thorough list for you. New Testament tells us to care for one another, to love one another, to host one another, to receive one another, to honor one another, to serve one another, to instruct one another, to forgive one another, to motivate one another, to build up one another, to encourage and comfort one another, to pray for and confess sin to one another, as we just read in James. To esteem one another, to edify one another, to teach one another, to show kindness to one another, to give to one another, to rejoice with one another, to weep with one another, and to restore one another. There's a ton of one another's in the Bible. It is ministering to one another, and that happens in the context of relationship. And you can't know everyone, so you need to have a small group of people who you know, and who know you. There's so much help in practical ways for a member of a small group. Maybe you need a babysitter and a group member offers to come over. Maybe you need a ride to the doctor or someone to pick up groceries. Maybe you need someone to bring you a meal. Or for me recently, to help me move. <laughs> My small group showed up some men from our small group showed up, and women, I guess. Men and women from our small group showed up, and in an hour and a half, we had completely moved my entire house. That's the power of a small group. And we complain many times that we're not ministered to from the church. Well, no one's ever checking on me or bringing me anything or helping me in any way. Yet, you're not connected in a small group. This is the way for us to know about and meet the needs of the church, the local church, is for you to be connected in a small group. Ideally, it would be your small group that helps you. It'd be your small group that performs pastor care for you. If you're not in a small group, you're not getting this practical help. I can't possibly, as a pastor, meet the needs of everyone in our church. It's impossible. We must perform this for one another. God's given all of us different gifts and strengths and abilities, the ability to minister to one another. But then there's also ministry to God. Look at verse 47. So praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Praising God. This is ministry to the Lord. We talked about this all last week. That the primary uh, purpose of our large gathering on the weekend is to bless the Lord, to minister to the Lord, to worship the Lord. And here they were doing that. They ministered to one another. They ministered to the Lord. And they ministered to their community. Look at this. And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being 
saved, having favor with all the people. This group of Jesus followers was a blessing to their community. They were such a blessing to their community, having favor with all the people, such a blessing to their community that people were coming to Christ daily as a result of what was happening in this church. They were a blessing. That's why we as a church have always sought to be a blessing to our community, not a burden. We want to be a blessing. We want to give and not ask for things. We don't want... Um, we want, to, we want to give away things, not ask for things. We don't, whenever we come, whenever Bayou Church goes around into the community and meets with people, when they see us coming, we don't want them to say, oh man, here they come. What, what do you think they want? Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Here come some church people. I bet they're going to ask for a discount. No. We want people in our community, whenever they see us coming, you're wearing your I love my church shirt, they identify you as some church people, they're coming. We want them to be able to say, man, what are they coming to bring me? This is exciting. I can't wait to see them. Every time they show up, they bring something. They bless in some way. Man, those church people, they tip big. Wouldn't that be great if that was the reputation of church people? I've worked in the restaurant industry when I was younger, and I'll tell you, that was not the reputation of church people. Like, that was the worst. Wednesday night, Sunday night, the worst. What if we changed that? Man, no matter how poorly I serve those church people, they tip so big. That's why we desire Fall Fest. We're having tomorrow to be a blessing to our community. We want to provide a safe family-friendly, fun environment for families to come as an alternative for trick-or-treating. If you want to go trick-or-treating, go trick-or-treating, right? But we live in a rural community. I'm not driving up somebody's mile-long driveway, passing three trespassing signs to ask for candy. It's not happening. And so we want to provide a place where people can come. Or, or there's families who who have religious conviction against participating in the traditional Halloween practices. And we will provide a place for them to come. They can dress up. We're going to have a good time. We're going to give a lot of candy, play games, ride ponies. I don't know if I told you that. It'll be pony rides. Um, it's going to be a good time. We want to be a blessing to our community. We don't ask for sponsors for this event. We don't go to the community and ask them to pay for the stuff that we do as a church. If we want to do ministry, we need to reach into our pockets, pull out some money, and fund the ministry and bless the community. Uh, we fellowship through, through ministry, ministering to one another, ministering to God and ministering to the community. Ideally, that would happen through your small group. Your small group, maybe once a month, decides, hey, we're going to go serve the community. We're going to go serve someone in need in our, in our, in our group. We're going to go serve 
um, a need in our community. We're going to serve in some way, minister in some way. I'd love to see small groups do that. All right, let's wrap this up. Why don't people get connected in a small group? I don't know about you, as I study Acts 2 and, and just see this beautiful picture of the local church and how essential both things were. The gathering, gather time, but then a small group, group time. Both of these things were essential in the life. We've said, we've said before in this series that a Jesus follower is similar to a plant that needs multiple elements to grow. A plant needs soil and sun and water. If you remove one, the plant dies or suffers. But Jesus follower, you don't just need God time. You don't just need gather time. You also need group time, give time, and go time. But why don't people get connected in a small group? Why do, you, why do you come on a Sunday, never get connected relationally in any other way? One author asserted this, and he said, those who reject community often believe, one, that they're smarter than God. Now, no one would say this, but if group time is God's design, and you say, no, I don't need that, then you're essentially saying, I'm smarter than the God who created me. I don't need that. So one, they reject God because they're smarter than God. They, they often believe that they are stronger than they really are. Someone who rejects group time is someone who says, I don't need help. I got this on my own. And you're deceiving yourself into believing you're stronger than you really are. We need one another. He says community, those who reject community often believe they're more mature than they really are. It's, it's saying, I don't really need to grow. I don't really need help growing. I don't really need to grow. I'm just going to, I'm good. And so you believe you're more mature than you really are. And finally, he says, they're just flat out spiritually lazy. I don't, I'm not connected in a group because I just, I don't feel like it. He quoted John Calvin saying, the decline of the church is more due to laziness than wickedness. Ouch! The decline of the church is more due to laziness than wickedness. R.C. Sproul says, it is both foolish and wicked to suppose that we will make much progress in sanctification if we isolate ourselves from the visible church. Indeed, it is commonplace to hear people declare that they don't need to unite with a church to be a Christian. They claim that their devotion is personal and private, not institutional or corporate. This is not the testimony of the great saints of history. It is the confession of fools. Ugh. So there's some of you today, you're going to leave here, you're never going to get, you're not going to, Take this, you're not going to go get involved in a group. You're an adult, you can do that if you want to. If you don't want to grow, don't go to group. If you don't want to grow, don't go. If you're content with being spiritually dead, just stay at home. You might say, well, I just don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need a small group. I'm good. My life is good without it. Yeah, I don't, like most dead things don't think they need things. 
Y'all might take that past appreciation <laughs> offering back. But you cannot thrive as a Jesus follower. Or maybe even you cannot survive as a Jesus follower without group time. Without being connected relationally in a smaller group of people where you can know and be known, where you can perform the one another's, where you can experience true fellowship. See, because alone, uh, you're just a stone, you know? We talked about last week how Peter describes us as living stones. But alone, you're just a stone. It's together that we are a temple of the Lord. Alone, you're just a, a body part. You're just, a, you're just like a finger. You're just like a toe or an ear or something. You're just one body part out there on your own, which is weird and gross. But together, we are the body of Christ. Alone, you're just a one single player. But together, we are a team. You might say, I can be a Christian without being connected in a church. Can you be a football player without being connected on a team? Maybe, but that's just lame, okay? Alone, you are a single soldier. But together... We are the army of the Lord. And we can accomplish far more together than we can apart. We are better together. We need each other. You need to be connected in a smaller group of believers. It's what you were designed for. For fellowship. For togetherness. So, join a group. Join a group. We have a few here. Women's groups. They're meeting all over the place. Monday nights, Tuesday mornings. We have an adult group that meets Wednesday nights right here. We have students that meet Wednesday nights. Men's group meets Thursday nights. Sewing with Sandra. They meet Friday nights. Every night of the week, it almost seems like we have something, but you might say, but none of those work for me. Well, then start a group, okay? Start something. If none of those work for you, start a group. You're not going to find the perfect group. It doesn't exist. You know why? Because fellowship is messy. Fellowship is messy. When Jesus, uh, one time he was in a synagogue, he pulled off a scroll, he read from it out of Isaiah, and this is what the scroll said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll and He gave it back to the attendant and He sat down and, it, and the eyes of all the synagogue, synagogue were fixed on Him. And He began to say to them, Today, the Scripture has been fulfilled 
in your hearing. I read that to you because I want you to notice the description of his people. The description of the people that he gathers together. They are poor and captive and blind and oppressed. These are the people that Jesus gathers together. This is a messy group of people. Some of these people might annoy you. Some of these people might get on your nerves. There's no perfect group. We just have to devote ourselves to these things. And I believe you will see growth in your walk with Jesus. So we want to see you grow in your relationship with God, but then also with one another. But maybe you don't have a relationship with God today. Maybe you're like, I don't even have a relationship with God. Hey, today's a good day to start. Jesus is still reaching out and calling, come and follow me. Leave your old ways behind. Trust in me for forgiveness, for salvation. Surrender to me as King and Lord of your life. Trust on Jesus as the one who came and lived perfectly. Something you could not do. That he died on the cross for your sin because the wages of sin is death. And he took the punishment for your sin on himself so that when he rose from the grave, he could offer you forgiveness of sin, life in his name, salvation in Christ alone. Would you believe him today? The Bible says in Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Call on Him today. I'm going to close in a prayer and then there will be some of our staff and elders and other prayer team members down here. We'd love to pray with you to receive Jesus today. Or if you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you. Bow your head with me. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your Spirit moving among us and Lord, I just pray that the word of the Lord would not return void, but would accomplish the purposes for which it is sent. And Father, I pray that you would convict those who have neglected the devotion to togetherness, to fellowship, to one another. I pray that we would devote ourselves afresh to this. That we'd no longer just survive or get by spiritually, Lord, but that we would thrive spiritually with one another. Father, I pray for those who are doing their best to devote themselves to what you command. God, I pray that you'd encourage them and strengthen them and inspire them and motivate them to continue on. That they'd see fruit in their devotion to the fellowship. Father, I pray for the person in the gathering or watching online who's never begun a relationship with you. They would consider themselves far from you. Never being born again or experiencing new life in Christ. I pray that today your Holy Spirit would so move on their heart they could not leave this place without getting right with you, without surrendering their life to you, without experiencing the new birth that comes through Jesus Christ.
Father, I pray that anything that was just my own opinion would fall away. That your word would take root in our heart. That we would be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Father, I pray that you would bless the food that we are about to receive together. That we would share it with glad and generous hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.